we're uh, going to head into our first interview here. And uh, we have, uh, as we have Deacon Nick Revere with us this morning. Inspired, sharing your journey. And it's going to be one of those inspiring stories. So you want to sit back and listen and uh, pay attention because uh, one of the things we love about this inspired segment is that when we get to share our stories with one another, we can see how the Lord works in other people's lives, but it also reminds us how he's been working in our lives. So, uh, Deacon Revere, thank you for being here this morning. Hey, good, good to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, so, so we're going to talk a little bit about your journey here, um, and it's not all roses. <laughs> There's <laughs> nobody's, some struggle. Nobody's life is perfect. Nobody's life just comes up and is it all uh, happiness all the time. We all have our challenges. Um, I just happen to have a story that I can share. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's, it began January 17th. Well, a little bit of background. Yes. I, I, I grew up in Manoman, uh and I went to St. Michael's School. Um, uh, at that time, the nuns all thought that I was going to be a priest, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I had other um, ideas. I, I always wanted to be a farmer. Um, I went to the university. I got my degree in in agriculture. Um, my dad uh, had the welding shop in Manoman. Um, he got sick uh, in 1972 when I was 10 years old, and uh, he, he got last rites like five times. They figured there was no way that he was going to make it, and miraculously, he uh, he came out of it. Uh, he had a brain infection, encephalitis, and uh, so uh, there were many times that they thought that he might pass. Um, fevers from 105 to 106, you know, and wow. so there's a lot of brain damage and stuff. If you met him on the street, you know, you would have not known it, but if he overworked or anything, um, uh, the stress of it would cause the seizures to start again. Mm. Um, it was about a year after he got out of the hospital, they uh, did a brain scan to see how much damage that was done from the fevers and stuff, and they figured there was about 50% of his brain was damaged. So when my dad said he had half a mind to do something, he meant it. <laughs> he meant it. Dad passed away 20 years ago. He lived to be 62 years old. The doctor said he wouldn't make it to 40, so he, mm. he beat all the odds. My mom still lives in Manoman. I think she's listening. Um, so, hi, Mom. Uh, <laughs> she's uh, retired now. Uh, she took care of her parents uh, until they passed away, and now she lives alone. Um, I'm married. It'll be November. We'll be married 35 years. Congratulations. 29 of the best years of my life. She always says, I hope your six are the same as mine. <laughs> and as we go through this story, you'll hear about a couple of years that weren't really that wonderful. Yeah. Um, we have, I can call them two children. Um, ben will be 34 in December, and Katie's 27. They both live in Fargo, so, which is wonderful. We get to see them all the time. Um, Ben's a radio man, and Katie works for the forum. Hmm. Um, and um, I'm a traveling salesman. I sell seed, and I drive up and down the valley, so... So that's kind of my background. Um, um, Steve kind of started out with, uh, you know, an incident that happened um, 30, maybe 33 years ago in January. Um, I was working for a farmer down in southeast Iowa, and uh, that was that fall of 86. If you old farmers remember, it was really, really wet. And so we had a hard time getting the crop off. So we finished combining beans on the 16th of January that year. Um, so we had to take them on the frost, and we had gotten a little bit of a... Uh, <clears throat> January thaw, so the snow melted away. And so on that Saturday morning, um, we were cleaning out the combine to put it away. <clears throat> the boss was in a hurry because his son had a wrestling tournament. <clears throat> and so uh, he was cleaning out the inside of the combine, and I was on the outside. And um, as I was 
digging the soybeans out of the um, auger, um, he flipped it into gear, and uh, one turn of the auger uh, took my hand off at the wrist. Uh, when I pulled my arm out of the combine, there was just a bloody stump there. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most fearful thing I've ever experienced in my life was looking at that. Absolutely. Um, but I still had the wherewithal <clears throat> to um, grab my wrist, and as long as I held it really tight, um, that was the tourniquet. And uh, the doctor said that was actually a good thing because we didn't contaminate it with anything, so there was no dirt in it that had to be cleaned out. <clears throat> so... Uh, so that uh, all occurred on January 17th at 9.30 in the morning. It was a Saturday. Um, it's a, a memory that's uh, ingrained pretty deeply. And at this point, Deacon Revere, you were married and had how many children at the point? You were working in Iowa, you mm-hmm. said, and you were already married? We were married two years. Two years. Ben was a year old. Um, and so neither of my kids really knew me as with two hands. Ben was a year old, so he doesn't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, so my idea of being a farmer kind of changed, you know. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm sure there's a lot of farmers out there that, that are still working with uh, disabilities, you know, and, and I could have. But I, I didn't have the funding to go and buy my own and to work for someone else. It just didn't seem feasible at the time. So <clears throat> we started making plans as to what we were going to do. And um, I was out of the hospital about a week. And I got a letter from the U.S. Department of Agriculture in St. Paul asking me to come to St. Paul for a job interview a week after I got out of the hospital. (laughs) And so within a month, um, I had driven to St. Paul, had the interview, and been offered another job within a month of the accident. And so um, it was 10 weeks to the day from when I lost my hand until I started working again. And I sat behind a desk for three and a half years, which was a real nice place to convalesce let my arm heal, um, sit behind a desk. There wasn't a lot of physical things that I had to do. Um, and so it was a good place to, to be at the time. Um, but after three and a half years, I, uh, I got a little bit of cabin fever, you know, kind of claustrophobic sitting behind a desk. Yeah. Uh, so I changed careers, and, uh, and I started on-farm sales, and I did that uh, kind of in different positions and different uh, capacities uh, up until now. So that's kind of what I do. So as you're... As you're sitting behind the desk, you know, for, for three years and, and you're, you're thinking about your ambitions for wanting to be a farmer just a, a few years ago, you know, w- what's going through your head? Are you, are you talking to the Lord about, you know, w- what's going on here? You know, w- what, was, what was kind of, uh, what were you thinking about? You know, over the years, um, I've kind of come to the conclusion that God will get you where you need to be. Mm-hmm. You can either go willingly or you can go kicking and screaming. <laughs> and, and so part of my journey was, um, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. And some of it was, uh, and I really don't want to do this, but um, I guess this is what the plan is. Um, you know, in life, you have no clue what your destiny is and where you're going to be led to. Um, my first position with the Department of Ag was uh, in southwestern Minnesota. And, and their philosophy at the time was that they moved you about once a year to get you different training experience in different um, areas. So... Uh, after a year, we moved to Wadena, and then um, in the third year, they moved me to Manoman. Mm. And it's like, you put me right back where I started from. <laughs> you know, this isn't my plan. Um, I thought I was going to go out into the world and make a change, and here you are, you're putting me right back where I started from. Um, looking back, if that hadn't occurred, and if we wouldn't have moved with that plan, um, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. And so I think that we just got to open ourselves up, um, be aware that... Uh, 
Sometimes uh, thing, God throws things there, or our world throws things at us. God gives us the capability to deal with them. You know, God doesn't make bad things happen. He just gives us the ability to work through them and, gives us, and it creates opportunity for us to work through these things. If you just joined us, we're visiting with Deacon Nick Revere, and he's told, just telling his journey story where he, uh, his journey of, uh, as a farmer, he actually lost his hand in a, in a combine. Um, and uh, the Lord is really, you know, helping him journey along, he and his wife. Now, of course, at this point, uh, Deacon Revere, you were not Deacon Nick Revere. You were Nick Revere, so now yeah. you became a deacon. Um, in a, we've, we've only a few minutes left here, but uh, tell us a little bit about how that journey started, your, deacon, your journey into the diaconate. Well, um, like I said, uh, going to school at St. Michael's School, um, you know, the, the nuns, they uh, put a lot of uh, inspiration into us to consider the priesthood. Um, my dad actually spent two years in a seminary, um, and so my dad has three sisters that are sisters. Um, my dad's mother, she wanted a priest in the worst way. She had four sons, uh, no priest there. Um, grandma had uh, 50 grandchildren. Um, there was no priest there. Um, so I'm as close as what she got. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, the church is always really important to us. Um, I think that with the struggles we had, we, we relied on our faith a lot. Um, the, um, 28 years ago, we moved to Twin Valley. We became members of the parish at St. William, um, and that's where we still are. And um, about uh, 20 years ago, Father David Baumgard uh, was our pastor, and he started asking me, you know, if I would be uh, open to this. Um, and so in the fall of 1999, I, uh, I decided that I would go through uh, the, uh, the deacon program um, and, and see how that would go. And... Uh, and so my dad knew I was entering into the deacon program before he passed, but uh, he, he didn't uh, physically at my ordination, but I'm, I'm sure he was there, yeah. and I'm sure he was smiling, and I'm sure he had a tear, because when he laughed, he always cried. Uh. Yeah. And so uh, it, it was, um, you know, we're always active in the church, and I think Father David saw that and thought that um, with the diaconate, um, um, it could um, lead to more things that I could... Um, participate in and assist the people of God, and and so it's 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 kind of been a a gradual transition. It seemed pretty normal to me. Um, some of my friends and sometimes my family thought it was a strange thing for me to do, um, but it always seemed normal to me. Yeah. Um, but there's you know there's always struggles in life, so we have our ups and downs. You know I think it's an interesting, and I, I want to. I want to step back a little bit in a minute, but it's interesting that as a deacon, you actually become the hands of the Lord. <laughs> the hand. Well, but he provides, he provides you with his own hand um, to be a, it's a position of service in the church. Now, now let me I want to come back to, your, to the story originally in, in Iowa when you lost your hand. How would you describe your relationship with the Lord at that point? We were Sunday churchgoers. Um, we prayed at mealtime, we prayed uh, at bedtime, um, but we were pretty much just uh, Sunday churchgoers. Um, the, the, you know, the faith was strong in our family, but I did think that I would be of any uh, position of service. Um, you know, we attended Mass and we um, did what was expected. Yeah. Um, um, I would say that we weren't, you know, um, overly prayerful, but not ignoring it. Um, you know, God is always in your life. Mm -hmm. um, I always told the kids in a, in, when I was teaching Sunday school and stuff like that that 
everything that you do for good is a prayer. And so Paul tells us to pray always. You know, when you tell kids that, you know, how do we pray always? You know, you know, how do we just concentrate on these prayers all the time? And no, it's how you live. If you live your life for God, everything you do for good is a prayer. Hmm. And I think that's the life of a Christian, is, is that we remember that Jesus Christ is our Savior, is our best friend, is the one that we want to embrace someday. And if we live our life thinking about that, that is a prayer. And people see us, um, how we live, and so we just have to be accountable for how we live and just keep that in mind. Yeah. Deacon, thanks for, for being on with us this morning. We're going to carry you over uh, because we've got some more to unpack in your story. So stay with us as we continue with Deacon Nick Revere. He shares his story of how he lost his hand in a farming accident and where the Lord has led him. And uh, we'll, we'll continue right after the break. So stay with us. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Inspired. Sharing your journey. Thanks for staying with us on Real Presence Live. I'm one of your hosts this morning, Brandon Clark, joined by Executive Director Steve Sponskowski. We are visiting this morning with Deacon Nick Revere. He's a deacon in the Diocese of Crookston, and he has quite a story that he's shared with us. We've talked about uh, an accident that took his hand, a farming accident that took his hand, and, and where the Lord has uh, led him since that point. But I do want to revisit for a moment the day of the accident, Deacon, because that happened on January 17th. You said 30 some, about 30 years ago, 33 right? 33 years ago. 33 years ago. January 17th is actually a special feast day in the church. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, January 17th is the feast day of St. Anthony of the Desert, St. Anthony uh, the Hermit. Um, and um, when I was 14 years old, I was confirmed, and I picked the name Anthony. And uh, no particular reason except that... Uh, my grandfather's middle name is Anthony, and so uh, him and I had a really good relationship when I was growing up, and, and uh, I wanted to, um, you know, idolize and memorialize my grandfather, so I picked his middle name as my confirmation. That's the only reason. I knew that there was a St. Anthony, but that was about it. Um, so January 17th, the day of the accident, is uh, the feast day of St. Anthony of the desert, St. Anthony the Hermit. And um, St. Anthony is the patron saint of amputees. <laughs> and so here's my confirmation name, his feast day, and the patron of amputees. Um, I don't know exactly what the message <laughs> is there. I think it's that God knew that this was going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have to believe that. Mm -hmm. But he wanted me to know that he was going to be there. Yeah. And that's his way of telling me that, you know, I was there. You're not alone. Nothing happens by coincidence. There's no such thing as coincidences. Right. Um, so there is a blessing in this message. You know, people get frustrated and say, why does God make bad things happen? God doesn't make bad things happen. Bad things happen. God allows them to happen. Mm -hmm. And then he comes in and he says, I was there. And I'm still there. And he was and there gonna, before, too. And I'm going to work with you to pull through this. And you will be my special instrument. And what you thought you were going to do is going to be completely different. And so, yeah, if I had two hands, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. 
So as you sat in the waiting room there at the hospital, um, what were some of the thoughts that went through your mind, some of the things that people said to you um, that, that really struck you that c yeah. to this day you still? Yeah. As soon as we got there, um, like I said, my, my right hand was my tourniquet, so I held it, and then when I got in there, they took, started taking care of me, and, and, uh, and then the morphine pump started, you know, so um, I got a little bit uh, uh, woozy there from that. Um, I was scared, you know. Um, and then my wife came in and, um, you know, I had to break the news to her. I, uh, I told them, when you go out to the farm to pick up my wife to bring her in, I said, don't tell Jean what happened because it'll just, you know, I don't want her to get alarmed. Just go and get her and bring her in. So they went out to the farm and they got her and they said, you have to come to the hospital. We can't tell you what happened because Nick told us not to, but they might have to airlift them. Well, then you would have been better off to tell her what happened because airlifting means he's dying, right? So she was pretty much under the assumption that there was a limb, you know, when she got there. Um, and she always told me, no, wear your ring to work because too many people get hurt with their ring on. And so the first thing I did is I pulled my arm out from under the sheet and I said I wasn't wearing my ring. <laughs> um, you know, um, there was a lot of support people there. Um, there was one nurse that talked to Jean uh, and told her, you know, uh, my husband went through an accident. She says, it's going to take a year. You're going to work through this. And uh, she was pretty close. I mean, it takes, it takes a year. Um, you know, you never really get over it. I, I tell people, you know, in January, it'll be 33 years, and I'm starting to get used to it. Um, but, yeah, you, you will get through it. Um, one of the, the social workers, the counselors that came in, tries to deal with this stuff, and he said, what you're going to deal with is this is like a death, hmm. you know? Um, you're going to go through the same grieving process as if someone had died. And he said that the only difference between this and a death is just is with a death, you, uh, you live without it. And with this, you're going to have to live with it. Yeah. You know, and so that gives you the strength. Um, when they took me from the emergency room, they transferred me from the, the hospital at Kikukawa, the, the local hospital. And, and we went to uh, the university hospital in Iowa City. And they put me in the, in the ambulance and I had to say goodbye to my wife because um, she was going to, she wasn't enough room in the ambulance for her to ride along. That's when I thought I was afraid I was going to die, mm. Mm. you know? And it's like I knew I wasn't going to die because, you know, they already taken care of anything. But I thought of that. And you start thinking about the things that you're going to miss. And I think that gives you strength to, to pull, yeah. you know? Um, fear is not always a bad thing. Yeah. Courage is being afraid and still moving on. Um, and so uh, on the way up to uh, Iowa City, the doctor rode with and uh, he kept me comfortable. Um, and then uh, went through uh, three surgeries and uh, was in the hospital for 10 days. And hmm. yeah, I guess the rest is history. <laughs> so, and you're going to be married 35 years in November. You said uh, 29 of them have been bliss. <laughs> um, you know, wh what has it been like you, when, when you say the vows right on your wedding day? I, I think about my vows. You just can't, you, you can't comprehend what you're going to go through at certain points. And you guys have certainly been through just an incredible journey. What has it been like with your wife by your side all of these years through everything you've gone through? We make a good team. Um, the support back and forth. Um, like you said, when you're in your early 20s and you get married, you're not thinking about where you're going to be when you're 58 years old. Um, so a lot of things you, you kind of learn as you go. Um, but uh, we, we, we work together well. Um, um, she is completely different than me. She's very expressive. I'm more of an introvert. And I think opposites do attract. 
Um, you have no question as to where she stands because she lets you know. Um, but she has been my rock to hold me together. Mm. And sometimes when I get a little down, um, she helps me pull it back together. And um, when I say, you know, 29 of the best, you know, six years <laughs> weren't that good. Well, I mean, everybody, if you've been married at all, you realize that not every day is wonderful. Um, and the first couple of years after I lost my hand, they weren't very good. Um, we had some issues um, with some adventures that we went into that didn't go quite the way we planned, but mm-hmm. we pulled through them, and uh, and I think those things made us stronger. Um, so it's it's just kind of tongue in cheek saying you know only twenty nine were good years, you know, yeah. um, they were all good years. It's just that there was some of them were more of a struggle than others. Well, Deacon, uh, we're out of time this morning, but I just want to thank you so much for being on and, and sharing your story this morning. It's a uh, yeah, it's amazing. And and I think I want to say, too, thank you for letting the Lord work through you, you know, and, and being open to where he, le- he would lead you. Because you said, if this wouldn't have happened, you wouldn't be sitting here, and you probably wouldn't be a deacon. Probably not. Serving our yep. church. And yep. so, thank you for saying yes to the Lord and in, in going through the diaconate process and the ordination as well. Thank you.